There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for yet another week with a, another fantastic guest. I'm very excited about introducing Dr. Alan Bernard to you today. Um, we're going to talk about impossible unless decoding decision making uh, with a true a global expert on the subject of decision making. You're going to find out all about him very shortly. Uh, before we introduce you to um, Dr. Alan Bernard, um, I'd just like to um, say a thank you to uh, John Jennings, to Elizabeth Vinberg Hearn, who a couple of weeks joined me ago, joined me. And we talked about Beyond the Comfort Zone and we talked about some of the lessons, some of the learning from a, an amazing international collective of. Uh, actually all past show guests who joined me in Windsor in the United Kingdom uh, to do some really kind of deep thinking work. They're all people in the second half of their careers, all contributing to a bigger world. And we talked about some of the, the lessons, some of the insights that uh, came from, uh, from that event and some of the takeaways uh, about taking that leap, moving um, beyond the threshold that maybe you're comfortable with and, uh, you know, take it going, moving forward, uh, to a new path uh, and moving ahead to contribute to something that's bigger than you, which uh, can be can be challenging. It can be daunting, particularly if you're being a little bit of an outlier. And then last week I had a holiday, so I, I repeated a show uh, with a, a great friend of mine, Neil Lawton. Neil's a very well-known adventurer. I think he's led 76 expeditions around the globe. And Neil um, just just launched his book, Adventureholic, uh, which uh, is an amazing, amazing read. And um, he had a, a launch event this week. Um, but I want to just uh, share that Neil is, is is tremendously fascinating. He's a real pioneer. Uh, and uh, I talked to him in the past, actually, about how he has this ability to make life more adventurous for you. I took my family there to stay with him once. And uh, every little moment, he just introduced fun and adventure to our, our weekend. Um, so do take a look at that. Um, but let's now focus on impossible and less. So um, why do even the best of us sometimes make poor decisions? And why do we often repeat these mistakes? Um, we're going to delve into that and the science of decision making today with our very esteemed guest, uh, Dr. Alan Barnard. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's a strategist. He's the CEO of Gold Rat Research Labs. He's had an incredible career as a research scientist. He's an app developer, an author, a coach, a lecturer, um, and podcaster. And he's globally known as a leading decision scientist and an expert in the theory of constraints. Uh, he co-founded Goldrat Research Labs with the legendary Dr. Ellie Goldrat. I'm sure we'll find out a little bit more about him soon. He's the author of the game-changing book, The Goal, and the creator of The Theory of Constraints, and Dr. Ellie Goldratt. Alan's uh, research focuses on why good people make uh, and often repeat bad decisions. And what he's done, he's created um, a number of award-winning uh, decision support methods and apps to really help us to make faster decisions. Uh, and not only that, um, you know, he's he, the companies that use his technology 
are just quite astonishing. And if you take the time to look at his website, you'll see him pictured with all sorts of famous um, celebrities and uh, and, um, uh, even rock stars on his website. And there's a lot of people around the globe using his technologies. So uh, a big welcome. Welcome, Alan. Thank you so much. Uh, it's great great to see you today and um i'm sorry for my guests who can't see you and only hear you uh, but tell us a little bit about where home is and you know what's a what's a day like in in your hectic life we've just been talking about how how busy it is at the, at the moment sure i uh, grew up in south africa and uh moved to the united states in september 2020 i've always had my research lab here since about 2009 um, so as soon as the you know epidemic was over, I had the opportunity and moved here, and, and really haven't regretted that uh, at all. It's just an incredible place to be, uh, especially if you're surrounding yourself with incredible people, entrepreneurs, top scientists, etc. Uh, a typical day for me, like today, starts at about six a.m. in the morning. Um, I do a hundred push-ups. That's my that's oh. my exercise routine. Uh, whenever I wake up, um, when I'm shortly after meeting my wife you know it's talking like how do i exercise i don't have the time i don't have the patience to do long stuff and she said to me um just do 100 push-ups every day and you just start off with doing 20 20 20 throughout the day now i can just do you know like 70 and then another 30 or something but that really helps me it puts me into the right mindset gets the you know dopamine kicking in feel good hormones rushing through the body, grab a cup of coffee, review all the emails to identify anything that's really critical. And typically my days are broken up into the mornings with meetings with teams and uh, my teams around the world and clients. And then in the afternoons, I keep open for research, content creation, admin, etc. Normally work uh, until around midnight or one o'clock in the morning. So that's a typical day for me. Oh my word. That's, um, so you really do put the hours in well i think you you have to it doesn't matter what you do right uh if you want to be successful at anything you're going to have to put in the hard work yeah and of course you have to make good decisions you know those are the only two things that are really in your control um good luck and good genes you know make it easier um those are out of your control at least for now you know we're probably going to be editing our genes soon with crispr and uh but the good luck part is always be out of your control the only thing that's in your control is being willing to do the hard work and and being able to make good decisions when it really really matters yeah absolutely i, I suppose um I, i'm just gonna you know add to, add to that too I, I i kind of wonder you know if that hard work decisions but actually making every moment count i i wonder maybe that's maybe that's a decision but i just you know i just sort of feel myself and it's a conclusion i've come to through my own work is that if you can make every single moment work and you can be your best in each moment then all those little moments uh, start to accumulate don't they and you start to get more of the results that you want um, but i guess you combine that with great decision making in each, yeah, each moment i think it's you know it depends on your personality type for for some people like elon musk's and uh, um, jeff bezos etc that is you know they plan their days in five minute intervals and they make sure that every single moment counts and i think that's very often a mindset of entrepreneur but for most average people that type of mindset would be completely overwhelming yeah because the reality is thank goodness not every moment counts but there's a few that do you know yes. 
Yes. It's like decisions. We face sure. about 35,000 decisions every day. Thank goodness most of them don't matter because it would be completely overwhelming if they all mattered equally. And that's mm. kind of why we, we make most of those decisions in the subconscious mind and fully automatic mode. But there are a few that really, really matters. Getting yeah. those right or wrong can make a huge difference. I Yeah, I, th I think that's a great um, insight on that. So, so um, how, to just tell us, um, in, your, in your background, what was it that had you suddenly become, maybe it wasn't sudden, but became really fascinated in this whole area of decision-making? What, what, what was it? I mean, I, I mentioned I grew up in South Africa. You know, we didn't have uh, much resources. Uh, you know, as a kid, you don't know. Um, you know, you just try to be happy. Um, but I, I wasn't that happy as a kid. I was There was always this thing, you know, I, I didn't feel like all the other kids around me. I felt stupid in the classrooms. I, I couldn't get stuff when there no explaining it. I was easily overwhelmed by complexity. And that's very hard to prevent that from, you know, triggering this vicious cycle where you don't achieve results and you keep on lowering your expectations. And uh, my grandfather noticed this and he took me aside and he said, you know, I want you to dream big and I'm going to give you a book. And he gave me this book on my 10th birthday, the Marquis Who's Who, which is basically a book of, of short bios mm. of all the greatest people that's ever lived. Mm -hmm. And he said, read it. And and what struck me is that very few, if any of these people had ideal starting conditions. They often faced poverty, they had uneducated parents, they had no experience in the field that they were trying to make a contribution to. They often had learning disabilities, but somehow they succeeded despite these, these limiting conditions. And um, what I realized what was happening is when I read Henry Ford's famous quote, where he said, whether you believe you can or can't, yeah. you're right. Yes. And that hooked me. And I thought, well, how do you know whether you believe you can or can't, you know? Mm. Is it like, is it as simple as you believing you can and the universe will magically make it happen? Uh, I mean, that would be fantastic if, if it was like that, right? Then manifestation would have a 100% success rate. But of course, it's not like that. It's starting with that assumption that most probably I can and I should invest time to solve this problem. Yes. And that made a really big impact on me. And it, it got me really, really interested in this area, which I call, how do you make impossible decisions? How do you achieve impossible goals? How do you solve problems that seemingly impossible? And and that kind of set me up for for the. I knew instantly that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. How amazing! And this is where this uh, statement for you, impossible unless, is where this came yes. from. To, to Absolutely. You know, there, there's a, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later because uh, I know you have some questions around that, but um, there's, there's always some kind of breakthrough and it's around figuring out a way to ask yourself the right question. Mm. You know, the, the biggest breakthroughs starts with the right question. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've seen this quote or maybe I've even used it. You know, what is a true expert? A true expert is not somebody that can give you the right answer. 
to your question, a true expert gives you the right question. Yeah. Like, are you asking yourself the right question? Yeah. Is the right question keeping you up at night? You know, what's really limiting me or my business from taking that next step, right? Of making the impact that I've always dreamed about or making the income that I've always dreamed about. And that to me was fascinating is how do you find this right question? And then how do you find a way of challenging your own assumptions or beliefs when they are in fact the, the root cause of the problem? It's often us, right? The bottleneck is at the top of the bottle, like the famous quote says. It's all between our ears normally. Yeah, that, that that's really in interesting. And I may be going off tangent slightly here, but what, what, what you've made me think about is, is uh, you know, I've been probably guilty in the past of having a, a difficult decision to make and then go and ask 10 people their thoughts on it and get lots of different answers. And actually, but, but actually when, it, when I, I, I look back on it, maybe the, the answer actually, I probably knew it deep down. It was, in, it was sitting inside me. But, but I probably needed to be asked the question rather than give an opinion, lots of opinions. Yeah, I think that there are there are clear cases where there is a knowledge gap, where, where our problem is ignorance. We just don't know the solution. But most often it's not an ignorance gap or knowledge gap. It's a confidence gap. Mm. And part of what happens when we're asking a bunch of people, we're trying to get validation. Oh, we're right. Uh, of course, that has a big downside because of confirmation bias. We pick out people that we think will agree with us, <laughs> and we don't ask the people that would disagree with us. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so tell, tell us um, in simple terms. You, you, you we mentioned your bio, you know, decision science, theory of constraints. Um, what do they mean in simple terms? What What is decision science, and what is the theory of constraints? Sure. So. I think the best way to think about science in general is a quote that really has impacted me. It's it's inspired and haunted me every <laughs> day of my life. Um, it was Jean Baptista Perrin, a famous French physicist, and he said that the aim of all science is to substitute visible complexity for invisible simplicity. Okay. So if you think about E equal to MC squared, Einstein's famous equation, right? From a mathematical perspective, it's difficult to think about a simpler color correlation between three, three variables, right? Give me two and I can calculate the third one. But it explains a huge amount of visible complexity in the universe. But that, that formula, that insight was invisible until it was discovered. It's always there. And it's a foundation of science is that the governing rules are always very simple. So as a decision scientist, if you think about decision making, how many decisions we make, how many types of decisions we make, all the things that we have to consider in making a good decision, there's an incredible amount of visible complexity. And it's yeah. very easy to dive down the rabbit holes and you never come out of it, right? We are like, for example, we are constantly discovering new biases, psychological and other biases, right? For me, my aim, and where these two things overlap between decision science and theory of constraints, is to discover that inherent but invisible simplicity when it comes to 
two things. Why good people make and often repeat bad decisions? Yeah. And secondly, what did I need to help them make better decisions when it really matters? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so tell us a little bit about uh, Dr. Ellie Goldrax. I know he's somebody that you, you know, you greatly, greatly respect and uh, you, you have a business uh, together. Uh, and tell us a little about him and, and what have you achieved together? So we get a sense of what it is you, you do. Well, he, he was a physicist to start off with, um, but he was always very, very interested in things that people consider an art rather than a science. He said everything that's been considered an art, including the management of, in, of organizations, have been kind of stuck. We haven't seen the same advances in that field as what we've seen in the other areas. Uh, and he became passionate about, you know, how do you analyze and improve and manage complex systems like organizations? And from that, he's created this theory called theory of constraints. And in very simple terms, it says, how do I do it? How do I analyze, improve and manage systems, right? I have two options. I can try to do it by analyzing, managing and improving each part of the system. But often that results in local optimization or secondly, I can analyze, improve, and manage the constraint or constraints of that system. Find the weakest link, make it stronger, and the whole system increases. So that's a, the essence of what he his contribution was, is making a systems approach of trying to analyze, improve, and manage complex systems very practical yeah. by saying the key insight that everybody's been missing is don't look for the root causes of problems, look for the constraint. What is the resource that you don't have enough of to achieve the goal that you're so passionate about? And and focus on that, make sure that you have enough. And then the constraint will move, make sure you have enough of that. And every time you do that, your ability to achieve more and more of the goal will go up and up and up and up and up. That's, re that's really fascinating. So so that's what you're, that's what you're doing, that's what you're, uh, and the technologies that you've, because you've created various technologies together, haven't you? That's yeah, what... if you think about any business, right, whether it's a really single person business or it's a Fortune 500 business, um, the constraint can only be in a few places, right? So if you, we're all looking for the one thing to focus on at any yes. point in time, right? So you, you, you start off by saying, do you have a goal, a clear goal? And yeah. if they say no, then guess what's the one thing? Yes, yeah. goal, right? Because that dictates everything. It dictates the work that you have to do. It dictates the resources that you need, how much of each resource you need, what rules you're going to be using, and what metrics you're going to be using. And the constraint can only be in, in five areas. Do I have enough demand for my product or service yeah. to achieve goal? Whether my goal is an impact goal as a for-purpose organization or it's an income goal as a for-profit, do I have enough demand for the product yeah. or service? Secondly, do I have enough capacity to deliver that demand? Thirdly, do I have enough supply, all the external stuff that I need to be able to produce enough of the product or service to meet the demand? And the last one was cash, right? Do I have enough cash to buy all the stuff that I need? So we knew that for a very long time, but I think our biggest contribution together was we started asking, well, where is the ultimate constraint, right? Because even the biggest companies in the world have only a tiny percentage of the world market. Mm. So it can't be the size of the market. It can't be capacity or supply or cash. There's 
There's abundant of all of those. Where is it really? And I got this insight when I read a quote by uh, Herbert Simon, who was one of the founders and pioneers in, in artificial intelligence and, and ops research. And he's, he said in this uh, um, article that he wrote in 1972, that very soon the availability of data and even information is not going to become the bottleneck, be the bottleneck. It's our ability to process yes. the data, to get answers to the questions. And he said, attention is our ultimate bottleneck. And the higher you, you move up in organization, the more data you can get access to, your ability to pay attention to what is the right information, right? Differentiating between noise and signal, that's the ultimate bottleneck. And when I read that, I immediately knew from that moment, everything will change because it's true. The, the things that demand our attention will always exceed our available attention. Yes. We should treat attention as the ultimate resource that we don't want to waste. So how do we decide what and who to pay attention to and what and who not? And that all starts with what is the goal? Right. That is the thing that helps me to pick up where should I be allocating any resource to? And, you know, if I don't have enough of it, Probably I'm wasting it by misallocating it, doing things that I shouldn't be doing, right? Producing things that I shouldn't be producing. Uh, if it's still the constraint, then go and get more. And that's really fundamentally what theory of constraints is about this. Have a clear goal, identify the constraint. It can only be in one of those five areas, market capacity, supply, cash, or most likely attention, limited management attention. And whichever one it is, assume that you're probably wasting it Try to better use what you've got first by stopping doing the stuff that's not helping you move closer to the goal. Stop producing stuff that's not needed now. And yeah. if it's still not enough, then elevate it. Then go and get more. But then don't let inertia become a constraint. Go back to step one. Where's the new constraint? Be proactive about it. And that's what creates a process of ongoing improvement. Can you give us a simple example of, of this? Uh, you know, An example maybe you've worked on uh, with a, an organization or, or with an individual? Sure. So we're currently working with a very big steel plant, right? So you start off, do you have a clear goal? And met with a founder, very, very, you know, ambitious entrepreneur. Uh, he said, yes, um, India at the moment is running short of steel. It's going to start constraining the growth rate of India. So I want to help to in make sure that there's enough steel. Yes. Right? Okay, so the goal is to increase steel production from 10 million tons to 40 million tons. Okay, that will help you to increase your revenues from 10 billion to 40 billion. Okay, first question, do you have enough demand hmm. for the steel? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, whatever we can produce, we can sell. Okay, yeah. do you have enough capacity to meet the demand? No. Okay. And inside of that, are there multiple things that can become a bottleneck? So if one thing has a, has a great day, could the bottleneck move all the time? Yes, it's moving all the time. So it, kind of the system is in chaos at the moment. Is supply a constraint? Yes. Is cash a constraint? Not so much. It used to be. What else? Management attention. There's so many places that we can intervene, right? Our to-do list is 50 initiatives. So you say, okay, great. So what we're going to start doing first is we'll start with assuming that management attention is the constraint 
Yep. I'm going to start by looking at all the things that is currently demanding your attention. And we're simply going to stop those things that are not directly contributing to the goal. Yeah. And a, a pretty good number to have in your head is if you think about it, if you wrote down 10 things that's occupying your attention today, how many of those things do you believe will directly impact your goal? Whatever yeah. your goal is. And it's not uncommon that you find that nine out of 10 doesn't have a direct impact. Yes. It keeps you busy, but it's not helping you make progress. Yes. So that means that we theoretically could do 10x more if we could just focus on that one thing that will help us get there. Yes. Right. Does that make sense? So that, that's kind of the, the essence of it. So whether your constraint is attention or capacity or supply, there's always many things that consume that resource that's not really helping. Yeah. Maybe even harming. But it keeps us busy. Yes. Right? So that that's always step one is stop doing the stuff that's not helping. Then start doing the things that, that actually can help. And there's normally a few that can make the biggest impact. It's like 80 20, you know? It's not just that 20% can give 80% of the effect that we're looking for. If this is my gap, between the impact I want to make or the income I want to earn, if 2080 says there's 20% that will give me 80% of that gap, right? But it applies on itself. It's fractal. So 20% of 20% will give me 80% of 80%. So four will contribute to 64% of that gap. And then you can apply it again. One of those four will give me 50% of that whole gap. And mm. that's the essence of what the invisible but inherent simplicity is in all systems. There's always one thing that if I focus on that will give me most of the effect that I'm looking for, at least half of the effect. And a constraint is one of those leverage points. Find a constraint, focus your, your limited attention on, on that. Make sure it's not wasting its capacity. Make sure it's focusing on a few things that can ha happen. And then make sure you, you don't let inertia become the constraint. You know, it's a process yes. of improvement. So you can apply that to a big steel company. You can apply it to a single person business, right? Yes. Where's the constraint? Do you have a clear goal? Is the market a constraint? Capacity, supply, cash? Most probably it's your limited attention. So start off with what's occupying your attention and how can you stop it? How can you outsource it, delegate it, get chat GPT to automate it, you know? Mm. That's always the starting point is assume you probably have enough capacity of the constraint, but you are wasting it in some way. Uh, I, I, uh, I found that very helpful for myself. I could see myself this weekend going through my goals and, uh, uh, and, and actively looking at that. It's, it's, it's so, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny, isn't it? How sometimes what you, you hear, what you need to hear right at the moment, you need to hear it. And you've, uh, You've, you've hit me on that when I'm thinking about resources to help me in different areas and what they're going to be doing. And uh, so that's, uh, yeah, re really, really. Yeah, it's important to to repeat that at every level, right? Get mm. your direct reports to do it and their direct reports. And it's fantastic when you actually get visibility, when people say, these are the thing that X is currently consuming my, my scarce resources, my attention, my budget. And, and you look at them and go, why are you doing that? You yeah. know? Yeah, you should have stopped that. Oh, but you never told me. Or yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a great way of just getting 
insight into what is actually ultimately consuming so much of our attention. And is that what we really should be focusing on? So, so we've got just three minutes till commercial break here, but I'm just thinking here that what you've described and explained there to me is so helpful in terms of massively improving the efficiency of what you do. But right. uh, why is it that people, good people maybe repeat, you know, a bad decision they've made made on something? Um, well, the, the, the simple answer is we repeat mistakes because we are not learning from experience. Right. Right. And one of the biggest, biggest insights I ever had is we have the ability to learn from experience, right? Think about touching a hot stove plate, right? You yeah. don't need to touch it twice to learn, right? But there's a requirement, which is you know what assumption you are trying to test, right? Is it safe to touch this thing? That's the first thing is my assumption that I'm testing is explicitly clear to me. And secondly, I get fast feedback. Yeah. Imagine what would happen if the plate only burnt you a day later or a week later. Right? You won't be able to learn from the experience. So my biggest insight by far is we repeat decision mistakes because we're not learning from experience. And the reason for that is we don't learn from experience. We learn from experiments. Yeah. Of every decision that you're making as an experiment to learn from. Yeah. What's the assumption I'm trying to test, right? I'm walking up to a girl, right? And I'm asking her to dance with me. I'm testing an assumption. Okay. Well, what was the feedback? Did I get feedback, right? Okay. Now I know, right? It's a very interesting way of of thinking about life almost as the mentality of a scientist where they're constantly just doing experiments and they don't get massively disappointed if the experiment didn't work or not because they learned Mm. oh Mm. it turns out she didn't like me right (laughs) now i know i need to work on that right or you know i'm launching this new product what is the experiment i'm doing i'm assuming that the market will buy this thing at this price, okay, how can I test that in the simplest possible way? And it's, it's almost to start thinking, I like to say, think about minimally viable experiments. Don't even think about minimally viable products. There's a step before minimally viable product, which is just be very clear on the experiment that you're doing. What is your assumptions? How can you get fast feedback? Yeah, And that makes life very interesting because now I'm constantly learning. I'm learning yeah. what works. I'm learning what doesn't work. Yes. Excellent. Well, on that note, we're going to go to commercial break, and then we're going to we're going to look at some more groundbreaking findings from uh, Gold Rats Research Labs, and we're going to uh, we'll start talking about things like uh, artificial intelligence and how that can help us in this process. And uh, do join us again in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I recommend with a sheet of paper as well to make some or a notebook to make some notes here because uh, there's some gold dust in this. That's maybe why you're called a gold rat, perhaps, Um, (laughs) because there's some real gold dust in here, which can make us much more efficient, productive, and obviously much more effective at making decisions. Join us again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? 
Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with um, Alan, uh, Dr. Alan Bernard, uh, and I'm just loving this conversation. I'm finding it fascinating, and it's really got me thinking personally about the effectiveness of my decision making, the put, and the and the um, efficiency of uh, the way that I carry on with things. But but I wonder if Alan, if you could maybe help us to think about this in really sort of simplistic terms. You know what's um what's what is the, the simplicity that we really need to really understand. And the, and the kind of process to be able to make decisions really effectively. Sure. So when I teach uh, decision making to kids, you know, I, I had to come up with a really simple way of explaining it. And it turns out, like most things, that it's also a good way of explaining it to even CEOs. Is you can think of every decision that you make as a sort of a mathematical formula of E plus R equal O events. Yeah plus response is equal to outcome. Yeah. And when you think about that formula and say, okay, so what are, what are the mistakes that we can make? Is the first is with the events, right? Is 
events are out of our control, they can be positive and negative. And we stress, often stress about things that are actually unimportant or that we can't do anything about. Mm. So step number one should always be whatever just happened isn't important enough for me to take the time to make a good decision on. Yeah. As I mentioned, we make thousands of decisions every day, most of it in fully automatic mode, fine because they don't matter that much. But there's a few that do matter and they can matter a lot whether we get it right or wrong. Then we get to the R part. The biggest mistake we make with R is we react, we don't respond. So, and when we react, we overreact. Like imagine losing your temper because an event happened, somebody did something that made you feel disrespected and you react to that. Or there's something big that happened and you underreact. You think, oh, yes. it will go away by itself and it doesn't, right? Yes. So the second mistake is how to control your emotions so that considering the nature of the event, is this an event that I really should respond to? I should slow down my thinking yeah. just for a moment. Take that pause, take that breath, and think about what's the best way to respond. And the, the best response is one that has a big upside if it works, small downside if it doesn't. Okay. Worst response is one that has a small upside if it actually works right and a big downside if it doesn't it's like think about yeah. you know you lose your temper with your kid right that yeah. did something. it's like what's a big upside here right the big downside is they will lose respect in you and completely miss the lesson that you're trying to teach them yes the same thing with you know having an affair or laying off people all of these things small upside of it actually work big downside if it doesn't when it comes to the o the biggest mistake with the o the outcome is we seldom actually think in the moment, what is the outcome I actually want? Yeah. Right? And what we do with the kids is we show them the mathematics. You say, what, do you have? what happens if you have a positive event and a positive response? Right? I say to you, Chris, wow, you look amazing today. And your response is, wow, I really needed that. Feel very down. It's a double positive outcome. Right? Yeah. yeah. What happens if you have a positive event, but you have a negative response? I say to you, wow, you look amazing. And you go, what do you want? Right? Or you bring the wild flowers and she goes, what did you do? <laughs> right? That's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> it just wipes out the bloody thing, right? The, it can wipe out a positive if you respond negatively. If you have a negative event, but you have a positive response. So say you're being bullied, somebody criticizes you, and you say to them, wow, you must be having a tough day at the moment. How can I help? Hmm. Right? <laughs> It's just like, it's gone. Now that's like, now let's talk about like, why, why did you criticize me? It's like, you must be having something that's on your mind. I'm not taking it personal, right? It can wipe it out. But a negative event with a negative response is a double negative. And what we teach with this very simple formula is your response can make things always better or much better. Yes. But it also make things worse or much worse. Yes. It's all about your response. The events is mostly luck. Yes, we can influence them, but all of us are going to have positive and negative events happen to us. The only thing we can control is our response. Yes. And, and that that's life, isn't it? That life is about managing, managing and navigating these, these events. Yeah. 
Um, so that's re- that's really helpful. So when these events happen, it is it is thinking about uh, the way you respond. So there's a there's a, sort of quite a, a fair degree of emotional intelligence here in terms of the way that you operate in these moments. Yeah, I would I would even simplify this. Not so much emotional intelligence as just being able to control your emotions, right? Yes. As to just remind yourself. Let me check. Is this event important? Right? Can it have big consequences, positive or negative? Right? Yes, it is. Okay. Maybe it's worthwhile not reacting, mm. but taking a moment, breathing, and then re- re- responding once I've figured out the outcome. It's very interesting. I don't know if you've heard about the, the four F's of stress response, right? As, as freeze. So imagine there's something happens. The first response is to freeze. Yeah. Then it's to, to flee, right? Yeah. And it's to fight. But there's yeah. another one called fawning, which is kind of just rolling over and playing along because that might be the safest way to respond is to, to collaborate, right? Yeah. But there's a first one that almost nobody speaks about, which is called flow. Yeah. It's to get yourself in the state of mind that you are not automatically responding in the first four. Yeah. In yeah. that state of mind of flow is when we are hyper-creative and hyper-productive. Yeah. Requires that we put ourselves into that state of mind by just taking a deep breath, thinking about, is this important? What is the outcome I want? Now that I know the outcome I want, now I can think about what's the best possible way to respond in this way. Yeah. Yeah like that like that a lot yeah so flow uh, and it's, it's a good one isn't it if we um if we have a you know niggle with our partner over the weekend <laughs> right. i mean it's so tempting to respond you know emotionally to react and then they react and we react and it, it's in a vicious cycle you know it just takes one of the parties to say, look, um, what is the outcome that we actually want? Yeah. And now let's think about what's the best possible way to respond to this. How can each of us contribute to that? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's the, I think that when you study successful people, they are people that have learned how to control their emotions. It doesn't mean that they won't over and underreact sometimes, but they don't get stuck there for a long time. They they get out of that negative state of mind very quickly and get back into flow and say, okay, okay, this happened. It was horrible. I'm devastated. Um, how do we get out of this? Yeah. And then okay. try to create that calming position for everybody else, put everybody else in that flow state of mind. And now we all that we focused on is, what it would be the best possible response for the situation. Yeah. I, I read a, a, an example, I think, that this morning, actually, which uh, so, was something I probably wouldn't normally normally read, but it was it was a well-known kind of celebrity couple over here, and they'd had a – they were close to the relationship ending. Um, and the, the husband sort of said to the to the wife, you know, I, I'm not going to leave you because I don't want to be away from my kids. So I've got no intention. I'm not. I'm not going anywhere, um, and I've got a sense that you don't want to leave the kids either. Um, and I only see them at, see them at weekends. 
Uh, is that right? Yes. So that means that we're not going to split up. But then we've got a choice. We can either choose to live together and be very unhappy, or we can choose to get to live together and be very happy. What do you choose? And I just thought that was really quite smart, actually, yeah. way navigating that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think that that's our biggest thing in decision-making is emotions. Uh, the next thing is overwhelmed. You know, when we get yeah. overwhelmed, we, we really make bad decisions. There's a famous study about the uh, um, parole board judges in Israel, and they were trying to figure out why at every morning when they start, about 60% of people get given parole and before lunch, zero. Right. Like, what was it? And it was just decision fatigue. Yeah. Uh, it also explains, uh, unfortunately, why women tend to struggle more because they make many, many more decisions than men. If you just think about what to wear, right, to take a trivial one, mm. men spend about five minutes on that, women spend about 50 minutes on that. By the time you get to work, you're already fatigued in all the decisions that you're making because you're thinking yeah. about yourself, the kids, the husband, the, you know, your your parents, everybody else. So, so that's the second one is just not, you know, limiting the amount of really key decisions that you're making to the essence of it. That's why you find people like the Steve Jobs dress in the same way every day because it's one less decision to make, right? Why Why people like that, when they go to a restaurant, they get somebody else to decide what to order for them. It's one less decision to make. Every decision we make puts cognitive load on us yeah. uh, and distracts us from, from having enough attention to make those big decisions better. So that's, that raises another really interesting point, which is when you're communicating with others, I imagine what you can do as a leader is you can you can create too much noise for somebody uh, and and too many decisions for them to make, um, which can actually lead to them being less effective. Absolutely. And that's why leaders, you know, I, I've, I've, like you mentioned, I've had the privilege of working with some incredible companies and I'm always, you know, sitting in those town hall meetings or one-on-ones with a CEO there and I'm noticing what they're doing. And most of, of them, are very good at keep on reminding people what's the goal. Yeah. Right. Working with Amazon, it's all about the customer. How can this make the life of our customers better? Yeah. Easier, simpler, cheaper, right? That becomes your criteria. And it helps you to differentiate for a lot of the noise from the signal, right? The signal is it's actually going to help us achieve yeah. more of the goals that are important to me. But the leader has to constantly refine that, right? To say, if you ever have to make a trade-off, that's the thing that we should give highest priority to. Most of the other leaders are saying, oh, we want to be effective, efficient, compliant, this, 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 this. It's like, it's completely overwhelming. There's too many criteria. Yes. Even AI will get completely confused when you give it multiple reward functions and you tell it, figure out the best way of doing it. And it will ask you like, what do you want? Yeah, <laughs> one twenty things, you know. I remember interviewing on the show a, a vice president for Ritz Carlton Hotels, and you know, I loved there in the morning. They asked they each uh, they asked the questions in their teams, and they got one question: How do I, how do we um, fulfil the unanticipated expectations of our customer today? Wow, brilliant question! And, and you can see how that makes everything clear, right? Like, yeah, that's the only thing that really matters. 
it's how the customers will will judge us at the end of the day. Yeah. So you mentioned AI there. How can AI and technology help us with better decision making? Yeah. So when you think about the four types of reasons why we make bad decisions and often repeat it, is one is we underestimate to what extent our emotions get in the way. Yeah. So we have blind spots. You know, uh, we we have confirmation bias. We we don't rationalize and then decide. We decide and then we rationalize. Our mind works against us. It's constantly looking for evidence to justify what we've decided on. Yeah. We can use AI to force us to have an alternative perspective. Right. right? So that, that's very, very useful. And we have in our app that we've built, Harmony Decision Maker, it's always asking you to look at the other side. It's like think about um, stop the addiction that you have versus continue it, right? Yep. Most people think, oh, it's a it's an ignorance gap. You don't know how good your life will be if you stopped or how bad it will be if you continue. So we focus on giving you that knowledge mm. as if you don't know, right? What's really the problem is that you have a belief that that addiction has a unique benefit that you don't want to give up. Yeah. Like it helps me to cope with stress. So when I ask you that question directly, what is the unique benefit of the addiction? It forces you to write down an answer that brings it from the subconscious to the conscious mind. Yeah. Then you can check and challenge it. But if you can't, then AI can really help you because it will know other people that also have this issue. What is their justification? Um, mm -hmm. The second type is overwhelm. So there you can create an app that can help you break down goals into sub-goals. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I've got this big thing get from, you know, feed a million people. Okay, well, what is step one? Is just feed 10 people. Okay, yeah. what is it like, right? Let's just start with that. Okay, how do I go from 10 to 100 and then 100 to 1,000? So how do I do 10x steps every time until I get to the million? That really helps to us overcome overwhelm. And again, you can use an app and AI to help you do that automatically. The third one is that it's the essence of VUCA, right? We are we are in environments that are massively complex. There's a lot of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, constraints, ambiguity of competing objectives. And we really don't know how to make decisions in that environment. If you think about like a business, right? You're asked a simple question. How much of this product will you sell next month? Yeah. Now, how do I increase the certainty of, of that for me? is Chris, I, I'm going to ask you to sign on your forecast. I want you to give me a forecast and then sign it off, right? Yeah. As if that at all improves the certainty, right? <laughs> yeah. we don't, what is important is to know that there's going to be variability and to think best case, worst case. Now, that is all things that we can do with technology that we can run simulations to simulate the impact of best case, worst case, and everything in between to check the impact of our decision-making. And then the last one, how AI can help us, whenever you're picking an important decision, it's almost always that the decision is subjective. It requires some level of subjectivity. And there's always a difference between the best people in the field yep. and the rest, right? The best are not just better, but they're much faster when they're making decisions. Yes. Whether it's a doctor that's an oncologist that has to make a decision about a, a, a diagnosis or treatment or dosage, right? Yeah. They're not just 
better, but they're faster in their decision-making. And we figured out a way to use AI to learn from those top experts that developed the intuition over 20, 30 years, extract it within a couple of hours and make it available to everybody else. Wow. So that's kind of the way that we can use technology and AI to solve those four problems that we will all face in decision-making. We get distracted with, with emotions, we get overwhelmed, we can't fully consider probabilities, uncertainties, complexities, and we shouldn't be making decisions if we haven't developed the intuition. So how can I get access to somebody that has developed the intuition in a very scalable way? And we can use yeah. technology for that. Wow, what, what, a, what an answer. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's great. So I've just got, a, we've got actually only got three minutes left until commercial break. Um, how would you recommend people get started with your apps? It's got a, got a minute or two. Yeah, I think the simplest app to start with is the Harmony Decision Maker. It's available on all the app stores uh, on your smartphone. There's a web app available. And that basically guides you through these five simple steps of making better decisions. Yeah. If you think about that E plus R equal O formula, essentially yeah. what makes life a little bit more complicated than that formula is how do I know whether an event is important or not? Right, so that's step one. Second step is there's never just one response, there's always two. And each of the responses will have unique pros and cons. So that's step two is what's my options and what's the unique pros and cons of each of them. Yeah. Step three is what's the best option that will give me all the pros with none of the cons. That's step three. Step four says every breakthrough you come up with will always have some yes, but some reservations, right? So what are all the yes, buts, but what are the yes, ands to make it more robust? And then the last step is turning that analysis into a simple experiment that you can go and try. So right. the harm decision maker will guide you through those five steps, ask you the right questions, help you develop a breakthrough, and then go and test it as an experiment. Fantastic. And, and people can actually access this, try this for free, can't they? And it's very, very, it's very, very, Absolutely. you only charge two or three dollars a month for it, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's only three dollars yeah. a month, but $3, if you can't yeah. afford it, you can just apply for it. And, and we normally grant free use for, for life to the app uh we we don't want pricing to be an obstacle you know we want it's a uh, i always say um you know decision science is an applied science you actually yeah. have to apply it to benefit from it and it's <laughs> it's practice 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 you know just start pick a problem or decision that's really important to you and just try it out let the system guide you don't second guess it just answer the questions and see what happens fantastic that's really that's really great um well we're gonna, we're gonna have to end there very quick final message about 15 seconds something like that yeah, i think it's all about you know thinking about every decision you make as an experiment to learn from and make sure that you get fast feedback what worked what didn't and that's a way of getting a, a process of ongoing improvement both in your business as well as in your life brilliant alan it's been absolutely fantastic i've loved talking to you today really really great for more information go to dr alan bernard.com um, also you can check out goldratresearchlabs.com and if you're interested in the app um harmonyapps.com i think that's a no-brainer myself um i've already got it on my phone and i'm going to be looking at it over the weekend um once again thank you alan it's been absolutely brilliant on next week's show we have lance sequitan uh, lance has written something like 24 books he was one of the most famous child actors in the world in his younger uh, years we're going to talk about um, uh, we're going to talk about reawakening the kind of spirit uh, within 
Um, really important stuff, actually. The very challenging things going on in the world. It's easy to be um, be very concerned about that and uh, and not um, not be a, a you know not be a light that uh, lightens up the world for everybody else. And uh, so, how do we do that? How do we become a, a beacon of light that um, uh, is attractive and helps us out of these uh, dark times rather than um, fall uh, down within it? So we're going to talk to Lance next week. Once again, huge thank you to uh, to Alan. It's been brilliant today. Any questions, comments, do send them to me at chriscooper.co.uk. I love to I love to um, hear from you. And uh, take care, everybody. I'll have another great week, and I'll speak to you again next week. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.